Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 262. We've absolutely found that some of our best people are those that have kind of been embedded in a current restaurant um, and then kind of learned how that concept works and and developed a really great skill set. And then we kind of take them with us in a leadership role for a new project. Um, So that's just one example and probably a larger example, but that has proven very successful for us in terms of not only growing the scope of the business, but also growing and offering new opportunities for some of our top performing people. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Are you short on time when it comes to training your restaurant staff? Well, if you are, don't worry. I'm sure you're not alone. But there is light at the end of the tunnel. You can find that light by visiting Tipsy for a whole library of video courses delivered by world barista champions, leading sommeliers, marketing gurus, and customer service superstars. Learn more by clicking the Tipsy banner in the show notes. If you choose to subscribe today, you'll get a special 50% discount because your restaurant unstoppable listeners get on it. All right, with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Molly Hopper Sandroff. Molly, are you feeling unstoppable today? Absolutely. Yes. So Molly Hopper Sandroff hails from Northern California and is a graduate of Boston University, where she focused on communication and marketing. Today, she is the Director of People and Staff Development for the Hawthorne Eastern Standard Island Creek Oyster Bar in row two row thirty row thirty four locations. Count them two. Uh, so uh, obviously, just a huge aerial view of who you are, what you got going on. You were recommended twice uh, to be a guest on the show. I don't know if you realize that. Uh, wow. But yeah, uh, I can't wait to dive into uh, who you are and what makes you so awesome. But before we do that, Molly, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you have? Awesome. Um, I mean, I think in my job, I have the pleasure of dealing with real live people day in, day out. Um, So the quote I often use in regards to, you know, hiring and training in my work is actually from Sir Winston Churchill. Um, And the quote is that success can be defined as going from failure to failure without a loss of optimism. Uh, And that really, I think, rings true to restaurants one and then also building people and teams and that things are always changing you're always working with um you know what is happening at the restaurant level and you've got to approach it with just an incredible sense of positivity and and looking towards the future at every step of the way yeah and i love that word optimism and the impact it has in this industry just because Every night's not going to go beautifully. There, there's going to be hiccups. No matter how awesome you are, you're going to make mistakes, um, whether it be night by night or with opening different restaurants. Like you hit, you know, you hit r- bumps in the road. And optimism, that ability to bounce back, uh, can really just carry you through some dark times. Do you want to just speak to the word optimism and really what it means to you? Absolutely. I mean, I think 
optimism is definitely should always be rooted in reality. Like I don't think it should be a veil that covers some of, you know, the things that you should work on in your business or the areas of opportunity or growth. Um, But I think it really, to me also speaks to innovation and looking at your product, whether it's your, your restaurant or your staff or your food or your beverage and always looking for ways to kind of innovate and do that in a, with a positive mindset um, of kind of always moving forward in this industry. Yeah, I love it. Great stuff. Great way to get started. Uh, now I want to learn more about you. Uh, I'm really interested in your title, uh, being a director of people and staff development. Uh, I think that if I were to really focus on, if I could have one title, if I could do one thing in this industry, it'd be something similar to what you're doing now. So I'm really excited to learn more about your role and how you got into it. So uh, why don't you tell us how you did get into this industry and uh, kind of just take us along the journey of, you know, from how you got started to where you got today. Absolutely. I mean, I think that I probably share, you know, a similar start to most people that started working in restaurants and that, you know, at the age of 15 or 16, it was kind of the easiest industry for me to access for my first job. Um, So in my small hometown in Northern California, there was a family owned Italian restaurant called Parlato's. Um, and they simply needed a hostess. And so I started working there um, right around the same time I started driving. That was kind of the deal my parents made that if I wanted to drive or have a cell phone, I needed a job. So I started working at this you know, small restaurant, nights, weekends, things like that. Um, and I think just to start, the, the pace was something that really appealed to me. Every night was different. Um, every interaction was something that I could kind of craft or, or guide. Um, and then I think also just the so many layers of even a small family owned restaurant from the kitchen to the wait staff, to the bar staff, to the regulars was something that I just really believed in and seeing how all those people work together. So that was my first restaurant job, um, in Fortuna, California, and then when I came to school at Boston University, you know, I was I was definitely doing some jobs that related to my major, um, but all the entire time I was in Boston, I was focused on, you know, what different neighborhood restaurant was around the corner from me where you could get amazing ethnic food in Alston. So food was just something that kind of always drove me in terms of my interests outside of school. Okay. Um, And then I actually started at Eastern Standard in 2007 as a host um, right after the 4th of July with just simply intending to walk into the restaurant that was closest to my apartment and get a job. Um, And then that throughout that my last year of school, my senior year at BU from 2007 to 2008, my role kind of elevated. I kind of became, you know, the lead host and I was doing extra projects and extra work. Um, and I kind of started to see for the very first time that not only were food and restaurants something that I like to do on my free time, but that there also could be, you know, a career path that was attached to that kind of extracurricular interest or part-time job. Wow. Awesome. I mean, almost 10 years now at Eastern Standard and starting as a host. And I love the host position personally. It's like one of my favorite things to do in the restaurant industry. What do you, what did you love about the host position that you think, made you excel to the point where they gave you the lead host title? I mean, I think it definitely goes back to my desire and interest in a fast paced work environment. I think particular Eastern, Eastern standard, the host stand was really ground zero. You know, you were receiving, you were receiving every guest when they walked through the door, you were speaking with the hotel staff about 
room service or guest reservations. You were communicating with the management. The servers were looking to you for guidance on what the night was going to look like. Um, so I think I really attached myself to just the multifaceted part of the role. Um, and also, I think as it relates to my background in communication, just communication is the one key yeah. to being a great host. And I think I didn't shy away from that. And I think I showed a little bit of, you know, a fearlessness that, you know, oh, you know, give me that busy night. Give me, let me talk to that guest who's upset that kind of set me up to kind of show the team and, you know, Garrett and Andrew, who are kind of the two people I really credit as, as guiding and leading me is that I was kind of ready for, you know, growth in the industry and kind of the next step. First of all, I don't think the host gets enough credit. Like if a good host is hard to come by. Uh, and somebody, I mean, there's so many things going on that you, from that host position, have your finger on just like the, the, the pulse of the entire restaurant. You can make or break a server's day, a, a, a guest's day. Uh, there's so much. The kitchen, you can flat seat. Like there's so many things you can do that will change the experience for the, for the guests. Um, and that's what I love about it. Uh, just that, that, like you say, that high touch, the ability to communicate with all those people, the fast paced environment. Um, and I'm curious to have, did you, were you, did you go straight from host to a, a, a leadership, uh, role as far as, uh, being the director of, uh, development or were there other steps along the way? Uh, I did not. So I, I definitely credit, I mentioned Andrew Holden before. He's the current general manager of Eastern Standard. Um, he, you know, as I was graduating school that year in 2008 and kind of figuring out what I wanted to do, he kind of really laid the groundwork for a move into restaurant management, um, which was the absolute most important decision I made um, that relates to my position now. Um, so from 2008 to 2013, I was a restaurant manager at Eastern Standard. I opened the restaurant, closed the restaurant. I did payroll. I was actually, I led the cheese program. So I bought cheese for the restaurant and educated the staff. Um, this kind of timing also coincided with kind of the integration of social media into Real the restaurant quick, why, landscape. Why cheese? Why did they give you the role of ordering cheese? I'm curious. So I think, I really feel like Andrew and Garrett saw that I didn't have necessarily compared to my colleagues a natural product affinity. You know, you see people grow into wine positions, wine directors. Uh, you see people that go down more of the bar path towards mixology. You see people connect to beer. Um, and I think this was a way for them to give me a little bit of something that would demonstrate to the staff um, that I had kind of that passion for product too. And I think it was... At that point, something that was somewhat new to the landscape of Eastern Standard, which was the study of, of cheese as a terroir and kind of scientific product. So how, um, how did they discover? So think, your, how did they discover your passion for cheese? It's pretty interesting. So where I grew up in Northern California, uh, it's a beautiful place right on the ocean. There was a local woman named Mary Keene, um, and her. Her company and the company that she started um, is called Cypress Grove, and they make a cheese called Humboldt Fog, um, mm. which is now distributed across the country. And essentially, this very small local, you know, cheese company has then kind of grown into this like very reputable um, cheese producer throughout the U.S. And kind of, I had told them that story and kind of had spoken with, I think. Not that I necessarily knew what I was talking about, but a little passion for kind of how this woman started. And I think that kind of signified 
you know, maybe that was a, that was a path I could go in terms of staff education and, and product. Um, but that's kind of what I remember. They might, they might tell that story a little differently, but that's what always stands out in my mind. Now, the reason why I wanted to dive deeper and it seems kind of like a non, uh, relative, you know, topic to cheese is the fact that they saw something in you, a certain gift you had, an interest you had, and then they, leveraged your interest to be uh to give you that that extra responsibility to 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 uh, work off your passion maybe maybe the passion wasn't you know huge but there was enough there that they could give you this project and have you run with it and then bring that extra piece of expertise to the team to make everybody better um and i was curious do you think that that was their plan from the very beginning like to to kind of give you something higher to work towards I definitely think so. I think they were also looking for something to kind of build my confidence up okay. um, in terms of, you know, existing on the management team. You know, I started in 2008 at the age of 22 with a pretty senior group of service staff, you know, servers, bartenders who knew way more than me about wine, beer, yeah. cocktails, um, all the various disciplines of the restaurant. And I think that this was a way for them to kind of give me something to sink my teeth into. I think that also, you know, so much in restaurants, we talk about storytelling. Mm. Um, and I think that cheese became a story that I could tell, whether it was about the local Vermont cheese movement or what we were serving tonight on this board or, you know, the study of Alsace and how that relates to the seasonality of cheese. Um, and I, so I think that they kind of saw both a need in the restaurant. You know, they, they were lucky. I was lucky that they let me kind of develop that skill set. Um, and then the ability to tell stories to the staff about yeah. maybe a product that they didn't know that much about. Awesome. So you said from, uh, was it 08 to 2013, you were in that management role. What happened after 2013? So in 2013, at that point, um, Garrett had opened Island Creek Oyster Bar um, with a great partnership team that included, you know, the team behind Island Creek Oysters, as well as the Hawthorne, mm-hmm. um, which is a cocktail bar in partnership with our beverage director, Jackson Cannon. And at that point, I had, you know, spent the last five years really trying to learn as much as possible about Eastern Standard. Um, mm-hmm. I'm the first to say that while I think I had a lot of successes as a manager, you know, the, the part that was most difficult for me to cultivate was a lot of the service skill set because I had never actually waited tables or bartended. Uh, I worked really hard to learn those skills, but it definitely, I wasn't necessarily going towards the operations route or general manager track. Um, and I think the one thing that I'd also attach to that was a little bit unusual was the very boring task of executing payroll. Um, while payroll required a lot of you know, data and data entry. It also was a point for me to see, you know, who we hired um, in the restaurant space, who had tenure, who stayed with us, who grew into, you know, new leadership roles, kind of like I had. Um, and really, I became fairly fascinated by how who we hired for the restaurant and why and why they chose to stay with us or, or why they chose to leave. Um, so at that point, the kind of next step that was developed by Andrew and Garrett for myself was out of both, you know, my passions, but also necessity. And that was that we needed someone to kind of oversee the HR aspects of those three restaurants. Um, so the first kind of spot that I started was a lot on the administrative side. So managing the payrolls across the restaurants, 
looking at our benefit organization compliance, all very interesting things um, from kind of this leadership role. Um, And then since I kind of took that role in 2013, we've opened three more restaurants um, with two more on the way. So the position was rooted a lot in HR administration, and I've been lucky to kind of see it grow into a lot more leadership development team dynamics um, and also making sure that the back end, the payroll and benefit side is, is robust and symbolic of kind of what we do in terms of the restaurants for both culturally and, and with the level of impact that we're looking for. Awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely hear the passion in your voice when you're talking about just like all like, you know, it's a, it's a part of the industry that we don't really you know pay much attention to is the eight, the, you know, onboarding human resources. And it's I mean, I think there's a huge opportunity in this industry, especially with all these multi uh, concept uh, operations developing where you have like like Eastern Standard. And I mean, what's your overarching uh, restaurant group name right now? So that's a very interesting question. Uh, We actually do not have one. I think what is particularly unique about our restaurants is that they are all independently run by really talented GMs and chefs. Um, They also are actually very different in concept in terms of menu, beverage, curation, uh, team operations. So I often say that I work for a collection of restaurants that do function as a restaurant group. But as of right now, we do not have an overarching brand or name. Hmm, interesting. I wonder. It what... is. It's a little bit unconventional. <laughs> Whatever. You're making it work. <laughs> it's definitely something that we're thinking about, you know, as we, we grow and how to how to make a lot of our teams and people relate to one another, but also celebrate their individuality or, you know, perspective at the neighborhood and restaurant level well i mean just like like kind of come back full circle the point i'm trying to make is that the it seems like the industry is going in this direction of having restaurant groups with multiple concepts that leave more of an impact in their communities you're going to see like franchises like in chains slowly i think start to diminish hopefully that's my hope anyway um so i do see a lot of potential in the industry for folks like yourself who take on that uh the 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 you know, the uh, majority of that HR and uh, developing people. And really at the end of the day, I mean, I've learned so much about how important it is to develop those people and to educate your people and to invest in them. So I really, I'm looking forward to diving into that part of it. But before we do, I really want to um, get a piece of the story I think we're missing. And that is, when did you know um, or have you not maybe even decided yet, is this going to be your career, like your end game? Is this the hospitality industry for you? Or was there a moment when you did realize that? And can you take us through that moment? Most definitely. I mean, I think a lot of people end up in restaurants or or approach restaurant work with, you know, a little bit of this is what I'm doing for right now, or I'm going to be doing this until I figure out exactly where I'm going next. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will definitely say coming from BU, you know, I, I definitely f- at first approached my position that way, you know, that restaurants were fascinating and exciting and interesting and I was learning a lot, but I wasn't sure if this is where I was going to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of the rule or guideline that I adopted was that until I stop learning, mm-hmm. I want to see how far I can take this. I want to see, you know, what else is still left for me to do within this industry. And I think it's pretty crazy. I mean, I think almost 
you know, nine years in, I feel like I've barely scratched the surface in terms of what we can do to develop, you know, people within the restaurant industry. Um, I also, I really feel like the restaurant industry is one of those that's never going anywhere in terms of how they how the industry relates to neighborhoods, communities, you know, urban development. Um, And I therefore can find a lot of growth opportunities in terms of my role, but then also what the restaurant industry can be doing in cities and towns. Um, So I don't know if there's a specific point in which I realized that this was my path or this was for me. But I think, you know, as soon as I kind of adopted that notion that until I was bored or until I stopped learning, I was going to kind of keep going as far as I could. I think that that, I think that was a real turning point for me. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think you're ever going to stop learning, Molly. I mean, that's one of the things I love about this industry so much, too, is that there's so much. The more you learn, the the more you realize how deep it can get. And there's there's so many lessons to be learned. And I love that culture, that Eastern Standard and all the the restaurants that are tied to Eastern Standard, uh, you know, Row 34, Island Creek Oyster. Like, there's a huge emphasis that seems to be on educating and growing the people. Um, and I, I'm really looking forward to diving into that, but real quick, uh, about you, um, what exactly, if you could narrow it down to like one or two passions that you think Garrett saw in you or Andrew sees in you, uh, the, the keep giving you these responsibilities, like where is your passion exactly? Um, what lights you up? What makes you show up every day and then drives you to learn? Definitely. I think, I think the first the first kind of trait or you know category that comes to mind is the is entrepreneurship. I think what I first saw at Eastern Standard was that I could take an idea that that was mine or that I felt was important and I had the freedom and flexibility to to give it a try and to see what I could make of it and I think that so that kind of Garrett and Andrew being able to advocate for entrepreneurship that related to my personal interests and then giving me the room to try it. I think that that was really important. I think. How, give me an know, example of a time you flex your entrepreneurial muscle. Definitely. I mean, I think we, I mentioned social media earlier. Uh, you know, when I had first graduated and, you know, the, the world of Twitter and, and Facebook and kind of web presence was developing. And I, I really, went to them and said, Hey, we need to emerge with a perspective here and we need to be a thought leader in terms of driving that forward. Um, that was something where they, at first they were like, we don't really know what these mediums are. We don't really know their capability, but absolutely, you know, give it a go. I think that was, that was really, that was one that comes to mind for me. Cool. Awesome. Um, did I cut you off before you're, I think you're about to say something else. No, that's great. Awesome. So, this is turning out to be great. Um, I definitely wanted to dive into what your day looks like. Uh, because okay. this is the first time I've had somebody uh, with your title on the show as a people operations or whatever. Uh, uh, I think there's a few different titles that I've seen up there for you, but essentially HR and developing leadership and talent within the industry. So what's your day look like? Take me through a day of Molly Hopper. Definitely. Well, my schedule, and I think with my role, it's definitely interesting in that I try to, I don't have a typical restaurant schedule and that I work all nights and weekends. Um, however, I definitely try to stretch, you know, the hours of my day to be able to see and interact with 
not only as many team members as possible, but also, you know, the guest interaction is something that I like to try to keep up and also really thrive on. So that's where I think my schedule is pretty, it's fairly atypical. Um, but I would say on a standard day, I actually like to get into, we have a small office in Kenmore Square on the early side. Um, and 8 a.m. is usually early for restaurant people. Um, but what I find is if I can get in by you know 8, 8.30, I can have a couple hours in which to kind of strategize and plan. So look at my calendar, you know, knock out those emails, maybe do a piece of work that requires a little bit more quiet time than the normal kind of office volume or restaurant volume. Um, so those couple hours in the morning are kind of key for me to kind of really set up my day and not only my day, but my week. So what kind um, of uh, emails are you like, what kind of communication is happening? Who are you talking with and what type of projects are you working on? Yeah. So I'm receiving, you know, all of the restaurant manager logs from the night before. Okay. So kind of detailed overview of what happened in service. Um, I'm often corresponding with candidates that I'm talking to um, for a variety of positions at both the management level or the restaurant line level. Um, I'm looking at things like payroll or benefits documents or kind of ongoing projects that require, you know, maybe some research or, you know, reporting tools in that sense. Um, I'm thinking about, you know, what our strategy might be in terms of social media for our new restaurant that's opening in Burlington. Um, so it's kind of keeping up with, you know, emails as they come through requests, um, from people with our, and our team or from the outside. Um, and then some of those like ongoing projects that I'm kind of always trying to chip away at. Awesome. Thank you for painting that picture. Of course. Uh, so one thing you said to me, that's really interesting, uh, guest interaction so i'm curious in your mind where does uh like the the line get drawn when like being a director of people is it just the staff or are you managing uh kind of like a concierge or or like a host or a maitre d are you interacting at all with the the guest uh experience and maybe i don't know trying to find unique ways to engage with the guests does that ever come up in your role a little bit. I mean, I think I'm I'm mainly internally facing um, with our employees. Um, however, I think where I am a little bit more external is as it relates to, you know, recruitment channels or as we're looking at a new restaurant in terms of like neighborhood or community development. Um, I think, you know, one area that restaurants really have a lot of room to grow is in terms of engaging with people that work really closely with the workforce or the academic population. Yeah, so, absolutely. for example... You know, up in New Hampshire, I've spent a lot of time with the teams from UNH thinking about their hospitality curriculum, how we might be able to support, you know, students' growth and education, um, and then how that eventually might relate to us in terms of building, you know, great restaurant staff, um, staffs and teams. So I think that's where I probably engage a little bit more externally. And, you know, I, the, you know, the best way for me to showcase the what our restaurants can do is by you know inviting people in scheduling what we call stages or having visitors to the restaurants in order to demonstrate how talented our chefs and managers and staff are so that i feel like there's a little bit of a circular nature in relation to you know communicating internally but then also thinking about who what groups of people externally should be in the restaurant space 
you know, better understanding what we do. I love that. And there's so much to be taken away from that. I love, uh, I don't think that we, uh, leverage our communities enough when trying to find that talent. There's so many things, there's so many opportunities, whether it be a community college or a state college like UNH, uh, but there's people there hungry, looking to learn and you can, you know, really, uh, you know, leverage those, those relations by engaging with them and not waiting for them to come to you, but you to go to them. One other thing that seems to come up a lot, uh, just researching Eastern standard and uh, something that I'm sure comes up with you and your role as a director of people and staff development is just like encouraging uh, the room for growth and developing leaders. So how, how does your role uh, impact uh, the restaurants as a whole, their leadership and their personal growth? Great. I mean, I think, I think it really starts, you know, from what has been demonstrated to me by the GMs and the owners of our restaurants. Um, and I think that what you see with us is that it really from the ground up or also from the top down, that's where you see so many opportunities for leadership and growth. Um, you know, I think it starts really with, we often organize our restaurants with you know, certain managers being responsible for certain teams. So for example, you know, a Caroline Mark of an Eastern Standard who manages the service team or, you know, a Jillian Rocco who manages the management team at Row 34. And I really think it's about customized leadership development. I think that you have to realize that managing people really requires understanding their personality and what drives them and what motivates them and then developing opportunities accordingly. So, you know, whether that's an opportunity for a young manager to take a class at BU on wine and further their, not only their confidence, but their actual skill set in that, you know, particular role or whether it's setting up like individual opportunities that speak to the person's attributes, passions, motivations, and then kind of going from there. And I think that level of customization has served us really well in both the front and back of the house, as I've seen, you know, chefs get to explore their passion for charcuterie or get to visit the oyster farm and then bring back their experience. Um, So I think it really is that customization, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, that makes perfect sense. But I'm curious about how you manage that. So do you have files for each employee where you're tracking their interests? Like, how do you stay on top of all these? I mean, how many people do you have working for your, is it five total or going to be seven total soon? So I have, we have, HR is a team of three. Um, It's a very new team of three. Um, And then, you know, we have a kind of a small corporate team that goes across bookkeeping and accounting and and kind of the various levels, departments of the restaurants. Um, I think one of the, one of the ways it's managed is through like organic kind of methods. So, and I think how that's demonstrated is that, you know, restaurant managers or chefs, know that they have the freedom to make a lot of the decisions on their own Mm -hmm. um, and kind of act without a ton of like corporate or top down influence. Um, And I think that's a huge, a huge factor of why people feel really empowered in their positions with our company is that they can kind of make those in the moment decisions or, or plan some growth opportunities for that employee. I think logistically how we manage that. Um, from my perspective is I, so we have six restaurants. I try to get to every restaurant every week. Um, and I try to, 
every time I'm there, take at least an hour, if not a little bit more and have a one-on-one conversation or a couple of conversations with some people that maybe I haven't caught up with in a while. Um, and then how, what I usually do is take notes from those conversations and then figure out how to project out into kind of keeping some of our programming moving. So logistically, that's how I personally kind of respond to the interests of our GMs, managers, and chefs, and then communicate accordingly. So how do you approach that? Like when you're like, you, you know, you're at say the Portsmouth road 34 location and you're, you're making it a point to spend an hour talking to these people. Are you like spearheading an opportunity that you might see, or are you letting things come up organically? Uh, like what's the approach to really find out where to uh, provide this opportunity to our staff? So I think the first approach is actually looking at the calendar. Um, You know, what I'll often do with, say, so our GM in Portsmouth, her name is Molly Woodhouse. um, And I'll kind of let her know, hey, you know, do you have any time this day at this time? I'm hoping we can catch up for an hour. I'll then prepare, you know, a little working agenda for us to kind of speak to that, that looks at, you know, the fall and what might be happening at Road 34 Portsmouth, how that moves into the holidays how that reflects like her staffing pars and teams. Um, And then also just some more like categorical organization as it relates to maybe the beer program or the upcoming, you know, Portsmouth festival or some more like events or categorical organization. Um, And then I kind of, when we sit down, you know, I want her to be able to just kind of chat and let me know what she's got going on in her day to day. But I also want to, you know, use that to kind of guide our conversation and make sure that we touch upon some of the, some of the categories I see across the calendar, across the seasons, and then across kind of the, you know, restaurant concept model. So um, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like what you do is you project into the future and you look for potential opportunities. uh, And then from there, you think about who you have on staff uh, where the talent lies and providing opportunities, uh, potential growth opportunities for people to fill these upcoming uh, needs that you might have p- depending on what your projection looks like. Most definitely. And I really want that to come from the GMs and the chefs. I want them to feel like they have the tools to you know, grow someone within their restaurant um, and then offer that person an opportunity that they may not normally encounter. Um, you know, as we look towards kind of these two new restaurants that we're opening, um, as well as kind of our past history of new projects, we've absolutely found that some of our best people are those that have kind of been embedded in a current restaurant um, and then kind of learned how that concept works and, and developed a really great skill set. And then we kind of take them with us in a leadership role mm. for a new project. I love it. Um, so that's just one example and probably a larger example, but that has proven very successful for us in terms of not only growing the scope of the business, but also growing and offering new opportunities for some of our top performing people. Yes. I love it. And one of the things I love about, uh, Garrett Harker and all the people that he, he's surrounded himself with, including yourself, is that you guys get the importance of uh, tapping into the higher needs of people, like like personal growth, like uh, expressing one's passions, uh, like feeling like you're uh, finding, like reaching self actualization, where uh, whatever it is you're meant to do on this earth, like you can now use one of your restaurants as an outlet to express those talents. Uh, and I'm hearing that coming through. And 
uh, first, I love that you you provide these growth opportunities. You you open new restaurants and you bring those leaders with you, and that's your foundation to start a new operation. It sounds like that's what you're doing. But talk to us also about uh, the importance of education and where that falls into all this, because that's one thing I think you do really well. Uh, you're constantly pushing people to learn. So how does that mix into it? Definitely, I think that approach education from call it three lenses if that makes sense um you know the first and foremost with restaurants and i think this always should always back up some of the more like creative or um intellectual opportunities i'm talking about is that repetition or restaurants require pardon me you know a really focus on repetition and mechanics so i think the first way that we approach education is by actually doing a lot of physical training as it relates to restaurant work so If you are a server, you know, learning and being taught by others how to pick up a knife, how to drop a glass, how to open a bottle of wine. Um, So we approach education for like the first part through actual physical mechanical training that is constructed in a format that is sequential so that you're constantly building on your knowledge each day. Um, The second way we approach education is from a little bit more of the academic perspective. So understanding the varietals in Burgundy, making flashcards about the cocktails that you want, need to understand, um, knowing what the word mirepoix means. So it's a little bit more from that academic um, study of food, wine, culture, and hospitality. Um, and then I think the third part, which is the absolute most important part, is providing a context for which the service staff or the cook or the chef can speak about their restaurant. So understanding, you know, why Garrett named Eastern Standard the way the way he did. You know, why did Branchline open in the community of Watertown? What does Watertown mean to the Branchline staff? Um, you know, talk to me about the oyster farm and how their ethos and kind of culture communicate to the restaurant space. So it's really that cultural training and that background that makes the service staff and the kitchen staff feel like they can be ambassadors of the concept and take some ownership of it. Um, and hopefully those three components, you know, the technical mechanical training, the academic study of, of food, wine, cocktails, um, and then the cultural kind of background and training really help people feel supported uh, and, you know, that they have the tools they need to kind of approach their job every day. I love it. And you're reminding me so much of the words. I just had Cameron Mitchell on the show of Mitchell restaurants. And he said the, the exact same thing where he believes in like all those things. Like you said, like the number one thing you got to teach is the systems, the operations, the mechanical side of things. But what he loves to do is he loves to teach people how to think. And that's what I'm hearing from you in that third part. Like what, why you are the context, like what makes, you know, all of your restaurants, what they are. And like that, those culture, the core values behind it all. Is that what I'm hearing from you? Most definitely. And I think what we're hoping to achieve by those three categories working together is that the service staff or is able to actually approach service with empathy. Um, and the word empathy is kind of a word that we weave throughout all of our restaurants and that we want our staff to be able to communicate with their guests and understand kind of what they're here for and why they chose us and respond accordingly, whether that's, you know, navigation of the menus or answering the phone in a way that makes that guest feel like we may not have a reservation, but they have options. Um, So that ability to 
act that way towards our guests is hopefully created by a foundation in, you know, the technical training, the academic study of food, wine and cocktails, um, and then kind of that cultural, that cultural piece as well. Awesome. And one more thing before we move on. Uh, I love that there's always a sense of like pushing your people to learn. I read an article, I think it was from uh, the Boston Globe, where I think maybe it was your sous chef or your executive chef when they don't have the answer to something. Uh, there's almost a, it, it, there's like an instant response, which was, I'm not sure, go write a paper on it. Is that something that happens <laughs> often with you guys? Is assigning homework to your staff? I mean, I think. I don't think we're quite that formal <laughs> with it. Um, however, I think that when you look at all the different ways people learn, um, that self-driven learning is incredibly important. Yes. So we have utilized, you know, tools in the past where maybe if the restaurant staff is particularly struggling with, you know, understanding, you know, this particular section of Germany, or maybe you know, figuring out this you know style of beer, um, treating it a little. Hello? Molly? Hey. Sorry about that. I don't know why the call dropped. <laughs> no, I'm not sure what happened either. Uh, the last thing I heard was uh, training on beer, German beer or something. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know how far you made it before you realized. Okay, for me to keep going. Is the recording still working? Yeah, it's still going. Everything's still live. So just pick up okay. wherever. So yeah, I think you know to conclude, you were asking about you know the assigning of homework or kind of that you know those tasks. If we don't, if an employee doesn't know the answer, um, I think that we often approach complicated subjects or maybe issues that the staff is struggling with, with kind of some more education driven tactics. So, you know, whether it might be a group project, whether it might be, Hey, why don't the three of you do a blind tasting of this particular wine to understand, or maybe it's actually freeing up, you know, some people in the kitchen to go visit said farm. Um, I think we try to make sure that, you know, work or different assignments outside of the normal work hours aren't extensive, but trying to make sure that our employees feel like we can give them an opportunity to understand what we're asking them to learn, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it, it makes total sense. And the other thing that just I think is so important from just, you know, teach like learning is that creating that culture of learning where people come to work every day and they know that they're going to leave just a little bit better because they were taught something or they were encouraged or, you know, dr you know, driven to learn something And uh, where employee retention is such an issue in this industry. That's one thing we can do to get people incentive to want to stay with us is to create that culture of learning where people know that they're, they're going to show up a better version of themselves they, than they were the day before just by working at your restaurant. Um, do you want to add to that? Absolutely. And I think, I think that can be demonstrated in what I see in our restaurants, you know, at even a very simple level, you know, two weeks ago I saw, you know, chef Jeremy brought in a line cut, line cut tuna um, into the kitchen. I like oyster bar, this beautiful fish that a lot of the kitchen staff had never seen. And he took, you know, probably an extra, couple hours out of his day to work with our incredible fish butcher on breaking that down and then translating that to the menu. 
Um, and I think what the kitchen staff got to see was exposure to a product that we don't normally get to work with, um, you know, an incredible symbol of New England and, you know, the seasonality of that restaurant and then some actual like hands-on time on how to really care for that product. Um, so I think that education can transpire in a couple different ways. You know, sometimes it is through that more academic research project or group project, but other times it's through, you know, some of our key leaders and people that have built this company and to just taking a little extra time and, and demonstrating something that they feel really passionate about. So Absolutely. I think there's varying levels of kind of how you can treat education that are both, you know, formal um, and planned, but then also spontaneous and, but just as impactful. Awesome. I love it. So um, we're about to take a break, but before we do that, I want to capture a failure from you. I think we learned so much from the stories of other people having failures in their career. So share a failure with us, Molly, a time where you just landed hard on your backside and then tell us how you got back up and what you learned from that failure. Oh, Eric, I've got to think about this a little bit. (laughs) Take your time. I mean, there's so many times (laughs) um, in which, you know, and I think I can think of so many when I first, when I was at Eastern Standard, those five years, like I can think of so many examples of where I thought I had a good idea. And then I was taught by others that, you know, that wasn't the most embarrassing story you have. Okay, this this is a good one. Um, you know, I think, you know, as a young restaurant manager and kind of working working with so many different types of people, um, both as guests and employees, um, I was very, very concerned early on about pleasing as many people as possible. Mm. So, you know, making sure that Garrett and Andrew and the team thought I was doing a good job, you know, letting regulars know that I would take care of kind of what they were looking for um, and – you know, what, trying to make the restaurant work for them in every way, shape or form. Um, So an example of that in which I just totally completely missed the mark and, you know, paid the price was in this event that I was, I was doing a lot of event planning at the time at the restaurant. Um, And we had this regular um, who came in all the time who wanted to do his mother's 40th birthday in our private event space, Uh, large group, about 40 people, Um, and I was kind of tasked with planning this event and essentially what they wanted there for their menu and the the flow of their event just absolutely did not work with the way our kitchen operated, um, and the way in which we, you know, were able to execute large parties. So an example was, is they wanted to do salads to start and they wanted four different dressings for each salad, um, with a kind of array of different toppings in order to kind of create their own salad bar um, within the restaurant. And Eastern Standard, the chefs and the menu is just composed of beautiful, you know, salad niçoise, Boston bib lettuce, but we are definitely not a restaurant that does kind of salad toppings or different dressings or things like that. Um, But at that point in time, you know, trying to prove myself and trying to basically not being able to say no (laughs) to this guest I kind of pushed through this event format and menu that absolutely tanked. Oh, you know, no. we weren't able to deliver the salads the way the guests wanted. Almost every salad was perceived by the guests to be wrong because it didn't have their custom view of, 
you know, what they wanted on that salad. We're kind of, you know, running different salads back and forth from the kitchen. The chefs are, of course, just absolutely furious that <laughs> this should, that this had ever taken place. Um, and I think, you know, one, the next day I was sat down to basically be told that I had <laughs> been personally responsible for not only causing the kitchen a ton of stress, un- undue stress, but also for pushing through an event format that the guests ultimately weren't going to weren't aren't going to receive. Yeah. Um, and I think what I learned there is that sometimes the most powerful or important new decision you can make is is one that maybe doesn't always please everyone. It's the best thing for the restaurant and for the guest. Um, and so kind of as I, as I relate to my position now, um, you know, it's my job to be a resource um, for our staffs across all of our restaurants, but also making sure that I'm always keeping their best interests at heart yes. as opposed to trying to be everything to everyone. And, you know, that's a great lesson. That's a great story because I think it's it's in our natural uh, DNA, hospitalitarians, you know, to say yes, to say yes, like no is not an option. Like we, we want – we're natural born people pleasers. But sometimes you can – you overcommit and you, you can want it to work so badly and you just don't want to disappoint that you will end up disappointing them in the long run because you're committing to things that you just can't pull off to the expectation they're looking for. So you're not doing that guest any favors by agreeing to do whatever it is they're asking for if it's outside of your comfort zone or your your physical ability to to execute. Right. And so I think, you know, finding in myself as that, you know, completely failed for both our kitchen staff and for the guests, you know, finding a way to kind of push forward through that and realize that sometimes the best thing I can do is, is trust my sense of what's, what's best for the restaurant and, and make, you know, sometimes the hardest decision can be hardest decision to make is the one in which you say no. Awesome. Great stuff. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsor. We'll be right back. When you're running a busy restaurant, it's pretty hard to find time for training. Well, Tipsy has a whole library of video courses from industry experts, including world barista champions, marketing gurus, and customer service superstars. Get your staff watching Tipsy courses and watch their growth help your business. With Tipsy, scheduling training, tracking skills growth, and measuring engagement is a piece of cake. In the hospitality industry, we never have enough time, so training often falls away. But as management legend Andy Grove says, the only two ways to improve performance are training and motivation. Tipsy provides both. Click the Tipsy banner in the show notes to find out more. Because your restaurant unstoppable listeners, you'll receive a special 50% off your first month. What are you waiting for? Get on it. We're back, and the first question I have for you is, what is an if factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic, something you believe most contributes to your success? I think if I have to pick one or if I have to kind of start with one, I think I think grit is really important. I think the restaurant industry is one that's always moving, um, and you kind of have to always kind of be pushing forward you know, with your, not only your personal passions, but also with the restaurant needs. So having kind of the, the stamina to stick with it, to persevere, to, you know, not lose sight of what you're working towards, despite the really busy night of service or 
all the different kind of situational things that happen in the restaurant. I think it takes real grit, but whether you're in the front of house or back of house to kind of make that happen. What's your biggest weakness? I think my biggest weakness is related to kind of what we were talking about before my, you know, desire to please everyone. I think, you know, my biggest opportunity for growth is figuring out how to be more clear in terms of what I want to deliver to our teams and to stick with it as opposed to trying to, you know, please everyone and, and adapt that way. Um, And I think that that can, man, if I don't, if I don't address kind of my weakness of wanting to please everyone, it manifests in, in a couple different ways that, that aren't great for my job. <laughs> Got you. Uh, what's one piece or your best piece of business or sorry, uh, leadership advice? I think my biggest piece of leadership advice is to utilize the network you have in any position, whether you're a host or a cook or, you know, a server or bartender. I think that is one of the most incredible things about restaurants is that you need a team of people in order to execute service every day. And across the team of people, whether it's, you know, the, the support staff member who's, you know, new to the restaurant who maybe has something to teach you about his or her culture, or whether it's the manager who, you know, you can ask a couple key questions of, I think utilizing that network, no matter what position you're in, um, in your respective restaurant is key to kind of furthering your own personal and professional growth. I love it. And when you're interviewing people, uh, what's one thing you're looking for a question you ask or a quality that's, that must be there. I think I'm looking for an ability within restaurants, um, or I'm looking for an ability in a person to not take themselves too seriously. Uh, you know, we've talked about failure before. We talked about weaknesses. I think, you know, the restaurant industry is one in which you can really carve your own path. Um, but ultimately, you do have to remember that we are in a fun, dynamic business where every day is going to be different. Um, and I think sometimes if you can, if you take yourself too seriously, or you're not able to adapt to your surroundings or experiences around you. You won't not only serve yourself in the best way, but also your guests and your teammates. I love it. And what's a current challenge your restaurant group is dealing with and how are you dealing with it? I mean, I think the the challenge that, most restaurants are facing is that the industry is exploding and that's great. You know, there are new exciting openings um, all the time. I feel lucky to see so many of our alumni um, in leadership roles at great restaurants in Boston and beyond. Um, And I think the challenge that presents to everyone is how to continue to tell the story of what we do and why you should work for us um, and how to be a compelling employer. Um, You know, it's not just about anymore that, you know, we have vacant jobs. There are people that need jobs. Um, the workforce, you know, is just incredibly intelligent and, and aware of, you know, all the different exciting restaurants that, that the city of Boston has to offer. Um, so the biggest challenge I think for us is to figure out how to, you know, tell the world who we are and what we do and, and make sure that we're communicating, um, enough information about, um, our opportunities and kind of why, why we, 
could be a good place for you to start your career. Awesome. Uh, what is one thing besides food your restaurants do really well that separate you from other restaurants? I think the one thing that we all really connect to, despite the different concepts, is the sense of neighborhood and the sense of place within our respective locations. I think all of our GMs and chefs um, are really tasked with and really undertake, you know, this serving of the neighborhood, whether that's getting to know the regulars, whether that's, you know, understanding that that Watertown has kind of a large Armenian population and how to blend that into the menu, whether that's in Portsmouth, thinking about the seacoast and and what the seacoast has to offer. So that sense of neighborhood um, and how we attach ourselves to the community, the guests and the cultural icons of that neighborhood is something that we're always thinking about. What's one book that's a must read if you're going to be in the restaurant industry? Let's see. Do you play the drums? I'm sorry. I'm (laughs) sitting on my table here. (laughs) Um, I mean, the one that comes to mind that has so many incredible examples um, at every level is this book called The Power of Habit. And it basically is, it's a series of case studies about in all industries, um, definitely not just restaurants, about how success can really be defined by building up good habits and how to kind of change your habits. I think what we want to do in restaurants is make our education programs and training um, build up great habits as it relates to technical and aesthetic excellence. Um, so that's one that I always recommend. Awesome. Uh, employees of any levels called the power of habit an awesome book uh head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash 262 i'll have the link to that book in the show notes and if you're not already listening to books on audio you can get that book for free today if you sign up for audible head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable you won't regret it uh, what's one piece of technology you're using in your restaurants and how are you leveraging it? Well, um, the way I, we often think about technology and I know you spoke with Shore and I think he could probably speak a lot to this is that, you know, we want to explore technology driven solutions that, you know, make the guest experience better, um, but don't cloud the environment with, you know, maybe a tablet or things like that. So we're often looking for technology that is, you know, internally facing, but not externally facing to our guests. Um, and I think, you know, one program that we're piloting right now um, at Row 34 in Boston is a new table management system called Reserve. Ooh, Reserve. Um, yeah, you know, we use, we've been devoted fans of Open Table uh, for many years, but I think what we're realizing is that to continue to stay innovative in the industry and to kind of make sure that we have all of the right tools at our disposal is, is continuing to explore, you know, new technology driven solutions, like potentially a new table management system that are maybe thinking, you know, driving forward innovative solutions. So that's something right now that we're kind of piloting. Um, and that process of piloting in our restaurants or kind of exploring new solutions at one restaurant and then figuring out whether we should extend them to all is kind of a, a tool that has proven to be very useful for us awesome. um, as we look at new technology solutions. And I, I really is running out of time, so I'm not going to be able to ask you all the questions, but we are going to okay. wrap it up by just having you call somebody out and then letting people know how to connect with you. 
Well, I think we need to continue. You know, you've gotten to speak with a, cu- a couple of our really incredible um, people, Shore and Garrett. The next person I think you should talk to, her name is Jillian Rocco. She is our first ever director of operations across Island Creek Oyster Bar in row 34 um, with extensive general management experience before that. And I think she could take a lot of the things I've said and really relate them to an operations look at our restaurants. Awesome. Jillian Rocco, look out. I'm coming after you and let the folks at home know how can we connect. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, I am a slave to email uh, and I would love to hear from each and every one of you. The easiest email to reach me is molly, M-O-L-L-Y, at islandcreekoysterbar.com. All right. Beautiful. I'll have that in the show notes uh, along with the links to reserve and the book you recommended. Uh, Molly, thank you so much for taking the time to join us thank as you, a guest mentor. I, you got to get going. I'll let you go. Uh, you're unstoppable. There's no questioning it. Thank you. Cheers. Another awesome episode here at Restaurant Unstoppable. And I've just been so impressed with the people uh, now, Garrett Harker, uh, Shore Gregory, and Molly Hopper, uh, three people just representing uh, the family of restaurants that includes Island Creek Oyster, uh, Row 34, Eastern Standard, the Hawthorne. We've learned so much from the, this restaurant group, these people. Uh, some incredible lessons today. What really uh, stood out to me, three bullets I want to talk about before we wrap up today, uh, which it, the first one is just providing that opportunity for growth. I feel like people grow too fast. that they, they, they figure something out. They get a great initial surge, and they just get that hunger to grow and grow uh, and, and expand. But uh, you've got to promote from within. You've got to uh, promote that talent from within. You have to, you know, create that impact uh, with your people and in your community. And I feel like that's one thing they've really done well is they they attract greatness onto them, and then they create opportunity for those people within their restaurant uh, and get that foundation so they can provide, uh, you know, when they, they go to open that next restaurant or that other location, they have this core of amazing people that are already on their team. They don't have to go out and find the next group of people to go open a restaurant with. They already have those people in-house. They provide that opportunity with them. They grow their careers. They, I mean, we've got to ask ourselves, what are we doing for the people that we're telling or are asking to join our team? What what hope is there for them? And if you don't provide that hope, if you don't grow with that impact, you won't last a long time. You know, I'm reading an amazing book right now, uh, the by Bo Burlingham, uh, Little Giants or Small Giants is the name of the book. An amazing book, and that's what he stresses in that book is that it's better to be great than big. So focus on being great, provide that opportunity, have an impact on the people that your restaurant touches and amazing things will happen in the long run. Also leveraging the strengths of people in your network. This was her advice to us when I asked her uh, what uh, business advice or leadership advice she has. Who's on your team? Who's in your network right now? What are their strengths? Do you even know their strengths? Are you and if you do know their strengths, are you leveraging those strengths uh, for the restaurant group's uh, benefit? Uh, I mean, we have so many incredible people on our teams, and they're they're capable of so much more than we give them credit for. 
really leverage those strengths and make sure you're getting the most out of the people that are on your team. Uh, who knows what could become of it? Who knows what you're sitting on right now and just not taking advantage of? Uh, people are your biggest asset in this industry. Leverage them for all they're worth. Uh, make or take advantage of that network of yours. Then lastly, the huge emphasis uh, that Molly and the other people uh, that are part of this, these restaurants that she's a part of, uh, their emphasis on education. She gave us three lenses, um, and those lenses were the, just the mechanical. Uh, you got to get them through the mechanical things first, the most basic. Just get them moving and doing those things, you know, just the, the standards of service and all those types of things down, and then move on to the more informational things, the knowledge, uh, expanding their knowledge with resources, providing them those tools they need uh, so they can learn and uh, be more knowledgeable. And then lastly, uh, the cultural education, uh, the why behind the reasons you do things, like what what makes us who we are and why do we do these things? Why are we special? What's the impact we're leaving? And why should you come work for us than uh, some of the people down the street? Like, you need to educate your people. Uh, some great stuff today, guys. Awesome interview. And then lastly, like always, please support this show. Share it with everyone and anyone you know who's trying to be a better version of themselves in the restaurant industry. Uh, success in this industry starts with personal growth. That's what we're here to do. Spread the word. You'll be supporting me. You'll be helping me out. Uh, go to iTunes. Leave a five-star review on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. That helps out a lot. And uh, connect with me. Make some suggestions on who you want to hear from uh, on the show, who you want to be a guest mentor, maybe some topics you want to explore. I'll get an expert on the show to cover those topics. Uh, and shoot me an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com if you just want to connect. Uh, and you know, tell me what you think about the show. Tell me what I can be doing better. Uh, always looking to connect. Uh, you can find a link at www.restaurantunstoppable.com. Uh, a little logo, the, the image there, except that 15-minute one-on-one chat, too. Love those chats. Love learning about my listeners. All right, guys, that's all I have today. Uh, thanks so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out. Peace out.